Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. I interview some of the top entrepreneurs in the world, and I thank you for joining us. I broadcast every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America's Influencers Channel. And you can listen to all of our shows on your Android or Apple device. Go to TonyDurso.com slash mobile and get the app. TonyDurso.com slash mobile. Before we get going, here's a big thank you to some amazing sponsors of our show. Please stay tuned for an important message from Captera, the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. And listen for a vital message from LinkedIn on how the right hire can make a huge impact on your business. More info on them just ahead, so please stay tuned. Today's show is with Angela Abraham and Scott Duffy, founder of Descriptionary and Breakthrough Author. All right, here's some info on Angela. Angela Abraham is a published author and the founder of Descriptionary. Her work is sold internationally and Descriptionary reaches millions of children, youth, and young adults in over a hundred different countries. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Angela. So great to have you on with us today. It's brilliant to be here with you, Tony. Well, great. You know, I always love speaking to someone from another country. I love accents and <laughs> but you're very but you're you're English for the audience. That's right. However, you're also very Americanized. It's not a very strong English accent. A little side joke here. I think we're going to be able to understand you today. <laughs> I really, really hope so. Yeah. Like, I mean, for the audience, I spent 12 years living in Canada, which is what obviously what you're referring to. So yeah, a little bit Americanized or Excellent. North Americanized. All right. Well, let's introduce you a little bit more to the audience, Angela. First things first, let's talk about how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? Well, as you said, I'm English. I was born in Hastings, which is a little fishing town on the south coast. And to go right back, I guess, at age even three, I was a storyteller. I used to sit in uh, the corner of the bedroom and tell my brother's bedtime stories. And um, so my parents never had to buy storybooks. I would just tell the stories and make them up. And I was always a child that loved nature. I just loved plants, loved animals, and Really, that's who I still am, and that's led me to where I am. So, yeah, I founded Descriptionary back in 2011, and that is a website that now helps to inspire millions of youth worldwide with creative writing and um, increasingly with uh, positive mental health. So that's kind of where my creative storytelling part of me went. But also the, uh, the part of me that loved nature led me into studying biology. So I have a biology degree. And I have a master's degree in conservation. And the two of those things together led me to the other things that I do. Um, so again, around about 2014 especially, I became increasingly concerned about the crisis um, in youth mental health with the increasing um, levels of anxiety, depression, suicide and self-harm. And I was also very concerned about uh, looking at environmental destruction, destructions of forests, pollution in the oceans, pollution of the air and soil. And then I added to that that I have a very strong faith in God and that God said that love is our answer. And to me, the destruction of the natural world is nothing short of the vandalism of creation. 
and that when we when we're deciding whether or not we're going to act to protect the forests or to protect the oceans or to halt pollution, then it's a form of gambling with nature itself, with creation. And so all of those things, the creativity, the the concern for our youth, the concern for environmental destruction and pollution, and my faith added up to me writing a book on social evolution. And that book is um, is a one-third biomedically appropriate social policies. And about two-thirds of it is more about uh, storytelling, linguistics, um, because before we had a financial system and before we had a modern world, we had storytelling. And it was our storytelling that helped keep our cultures um, on track and heading in the right directions. Um, and the other reason I wrote that book on social evolution recently is like Einstein said, that to save Earth, we would need a new paradigm. And so for me, again, as a person with a very strong faith, um, God said, love is the answer. And that's what I believe. So the way I went about doing social evolution was to say, you know, I'm not looking for an answer. I already have the answer. Um, My job is to show why love is the answer. And I'd done that at a really uh, fortuitous time because um, neuroscience has recently shown that love is the right answer to um, positive brain health. Um, Medical biology has just shown that love is the right answer for creating positive um, health of the body as well. And so with my background in biology and um, with my background in um, creative thought and storytelling, I was able to write this book about social evolution, which is a bit like a slow-mo revolution. It's about doing things in a way that's um, biologically appropriate and um, in a way that's kind of slow and kind to everybody, if that makes sense. I think so. Social evolution wouldn't to me, sounds like planting a seed in the ground. It's very small, and it eventually grows into yes. a bush or a flower or tree, and it takes time. So that's kind of the concept is to enact, create change now, but that doesn't necessarily mean dramatic overnight, but start yeah. implementing. Okay. Yeah. I think it was any, one thing that I really thought about was any time we look at revolutions happening, they always come with really bad consequences, you know, whether it's starvation or whether, you know, all these social upheavals, they don't tend to lead anywhere good. Uh, but as I think the way you said it, that it's like putting out good seeds. I, for me, that's like a perfect analogy, because certainly what I do on Descriptionary in a lot of the very small descriptions that I write, I put very small good ideas inside descriptions as well so that they go out not as... Um, not as anything dramatic, not as anything revolutionary, but to help slowly move us towards um, a world that's more loving, more kind, more caring, and more mindful about our impact on the world and making sure that our impact is a good one. I think some people are going to be in agreement with that. Mm. I say that as I a hope slight, so. slight little joke there. I actually hope mm. a lot of people. Angela, let's introduce the audience to what is descriptionary and how does that fit in with social evolution? You just mentioned a little bit. Let's take it from the bottom and kind of explain this for us. Right. So descriptionary is like, um, well, descriptionary has about 14 to 15,000 descriptions on it currently. And what I tried to do um, increasingly since 2017, 2018, when I became much more aware of the social evolutionary aspect of descriptionary, is to 
firstly, again, put good ideas into descriptions to help you. So if you're if they're reading descriptions about um, emotions, to do that in a way that's constructive and positive for their mental health. So that I show that if I'm writing something about something that's difficult, like depression, I'm trying to show that um, I understand where they are in a really realistic way. But at the same time, through the word choices that I make and the way that I weave the words together to help softly implant ideas of progression towards a better place for mental health. And to, to just show that realistic path, because it doesn't help people who are you know, feeling depressed to, to make light of it or to, to do it in a way that says, and now you can be happy. So it's, it's doing in a way that's realistically helpful because when, when you are suffering with a mental health issue, small steps are like giant leaps. And so for somebody who's mentally healthy, they might think that, you know, this step that you're trying to make is inconsequential, but to you, it's just massive and difficult. So I write in a way that is hopefully realistically bringing them on and softly planting ideas again by word choices because word choices are are massively important because it helps to program the brain in a better way so descriptionary is part of what I do as a social evolutionist Um, it wasn't to begin with I think when I started in 2011 I I knew I wanted to do something I knew I wanted to help youth I knew I was very concerned about the environment I knew that um you know the the crisis in youth mental health was just um was just very painful to me personally as a mum um just as a human being so I started it and it did grow into being that and as I developed it I learned I self-taught really new ways to make the writing better um for youth and like I said as I was doing that the things that I was learning and these small ideas I was putting out I guess over time they were like tiny fragments of a jigsaw puzzle just and so over years it started to build a picture of what a better world could look like in terms of how could we, you know, build differently? How could we farm differently? How could we tell stories differently? How could we approach our language differently? You know, what words are missing in our language? What words are dominant in our language? And what does that, how does that change our culture? You know, how does that help us or prevent us from doing what we need to do as a species? Angela? So... Yep. For the audience, it, descriptionary, when I hear that word, I think of mm. a dictionary, but this is right. a little bit more. Can you, what's yes, the difference between a dictionary and your, you're the founder of descriptionary? Right. That is a great question. So obviously a dictionary, you look it up and you get a definition for a word, right? On descriptionary, if you look up the word happy, it will give you a lot of descriptions where the person in the description is happy, is feeling happiness. And as you read that, it gives you the inspiration of happiness, a deeper intuition of what happiness really is, rather than just, I think, a definition. Often we read it and somehow it stops at a very cerebral level. Whereas descriptionary, when you read about happy, you can get a very deep sense of what happiness is and even how to become happy because maybe often as writers we're writing to heal right all arts are essentially healing arts and writing is the same so often when we're writing we're searching for how to be um, a better person or how to develop ourselves or how to be happy how to raise ourselves up and 
mature um, or to, to escape a sadness. And so descriptionary, sorry, <laughs> descriptionary helps with that. Angela, when I hear this, I'm thinking, well, let's put it this way. I'd love to get some examples. For example, unhappy as a descriptionary, right. I would think of, you know, I'm just maybe a little silly. Happy is someone who enjoys life and doesn't need drugs. You know, is that sort of the descriptionary or happiness is someone that doesn't have to go to the psychiatrist? Is that sort mm-hmm. of a thing or am I like way off base here? You're way, way off okay. base. Okay, we need examples. Yeah. All right, give me a sec, because as right. I'm talking to you now, I'm on my phone, and I'm just calling up my website, um, because there's a lot of... Okay, here's one. It's not happy. I'm just going to take this from the front page. So this one's called Shocked. My brain stutters for a moment, and my eyes take in more light than I expected. Every part of me goes on pause while my thoughts catch up. After a wash of cold... I step back, I step from the shadows, feeling a new warmth to the day. I place one hand on Caleb's shoulder. It will be okay. It will. Wow. So that was more of as a <laughs> so, story, like a yeah, story dictionary right. sort of a thing. Yes. Oh. And so sometimes I've had kids write to me and say, what's the rest of that story? And I'm like, <laughs> well, you tell me. Because that story could go in any one of pretty much infinite ways, you know, depending, you know, everyone, anyone who, who read that and wanted to write a story would presumably just write a completely different story, right? Or a poem. But it's or to or give you that story. feeling, it's to try to soak you into that emotionality of what it is to be shocked and how your body would respond to shock. And so if you, at some point in your life, you felt shock, you would probably be more likely to recognize, oh, I'm feeling shocked rather than feeling, I don't know, confused or not sure of what your emotion was. So it helps to boost your emotional intelligence in that way or your, your sort of your self-understanding of who you are and how you're feeling. This is cool. This is the Tony D'Urso Show. Just ahead, the chat continues with Angela Abraham and Scott Duffy, founder of Descriptionary and Breakthrough Author. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. I think we've all bought software that's unused and just sitting there. I've made that mistake a few times and don't like to talk about lost money. Now, I'm much smarter and I have Captera to help me. Captera.com slash Tony. Captera is the leading free online resource to help you find the best software solution for your business. With over 850,000 reviews of products from real software users, discover everything you need to make an informed decision. Search more than 700 specific categories of software, everything from project management to email marketing to yoga studio management software. No matter what kind of software your business needs, Captera makes it easy to discover the right solution fast. Visit Captera.com slash Tony for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. Captera.com slash Tony. Captera, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Tony. Captera, software selection simplified. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. 
You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show. Today's show is with Angela Abraham and Scott Duffy, founder of Descriptionary and breakthrough author. Angela's book, Social Evolution 101, Sometimes a Flower, covers both biomedically appropriate social policy making and how the entertainment industry can help bring about healthy and happy societies. The manuscript of the book has been read by senior politicians of all parties and academics and has been universally well-received. All right, and now back to the chat with Angela. Angela, I'd like to know how does this impact politics? And while we're at it, can you pull up the your descriptionary of politics and give that to us. Give us the whole thing. Oh my gosh, politics. Hang on, let me just see because <laughs> I hope it's not I've like got super the long. Front of me. Um, to talk about it in terms of um, politics first, I'm doing this as I'm talking, as I'm um, trying to look at stuff. My friend. in terms of politics, um, there's, there's some things you need to just kind of understand a little bit before we can talk about that because when we feel loved it switches on the sort of the supercomputer part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. And when we feel afraid, we get locked down into our primitive brain, which is like, like an, if you think in terms of, if you imagine like an old clunky computer that's got uh, like Windows 1.0 and it just runs old programs. That's a bit like our primitive brain. I don't think that's um, supported anymore. It is a actually. Joke. Because- that's a little joke. Windows oh. 1.0. Sorry, <laughs> oh, no, sorry. no, no more support. Neuroscience is supported. <laughs> um, so when you're living in a fearful society or when you are constantly exposed to fear, whether it's through the news media or advertising or anything, you use more of that primitive brain rather than your supercomputer prefrontal cortex. And so when you're afraid you develop your primitive survival instincts more and so the brain is more like a muscle than we ever knew before it's what you use you develop and becomes more interconnected and it develops so in a society that's more loving and kind and empathic more people are able to use their prefrontal cortex this sort of the supercomputer part of the brain and that you have to have that bit of the brain switched on to use all the best bits of humanity, sort of empathy, logic, and self-control are all part of that higher region of the brain. So when we try to create a more socially evolved society, we have to know that that's true because if people are being afraid, that means people won't have, they can't have as much self-control. So that impacts law and order. If people are afraid and they can't use this supercomputer part of the brain, they can't do very well in school. So that impacts education. Um, It also impacts how you are in personal relationships because that sort of primitive part of your brain is reactive and impulsive. Whereas the supercomputer part of your brain, your prefrontal cortex, is responsive and responsible. So if you want to have a responsible society... People have to be in an environment where they feel loved. And of course, that goes for children, you know, even perhaps more so than adults. But the other thing we need to realize is that when people feel, um, especially when children feel afraid, over 900 of their genes are switched into um, a survival mode. And that prepares them for a shorter life. 
And the other thing that it does is it keeps them in their primitive brain more. So their primitive brain develops instead of the higher brain. And then they get a trauma brain architecture. And the other thing we need to know about stress and things is that it bubbles down in society to the most vulnerable, to babies, to children. And that if you compare the brain of a three-year-old to a newborn baby, 90% of their brain development happened between birth and three years. So compared to all other mammals, humans are all born premature. So we actually, to have a, a highly evolved or a society that's moving in the right direction, we need to have society where people genuinely feel more loved. And so now I'll just bring that onto politics because I had to just explain that before I can talk about the politics bit. One quick pause. This is Angela Abraham, founder of Descriptionary, and you can find out more about this at Descriptionary.com, which I'm going to spell Description, D-E-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-O-N-A-R-I.com, Descriptionary.com. All right, Angela, let's get the politics part now in, into place. All right. So given that our brains and our bodies only do well in conditions where we feel loved, so we, in politics, we need to be creating biomedically appropriate social policies because when we feel loved and fear is reduced, that means stress is reduced. Um, a reduction in stress means that we don't get sick as often at all. Um, we have to have a certain amount of stress in our lives, but too much is um, extremely damaging both to the body and to the brain. And so when we have these conditions where people feel loved and safe, you have everybody can have self-control because that's a higher brain function. When you have self-control, crime goes down. So you have a nice, more orderly, calm society and also public expenditure on crime and such also goes down. So again, health goes up and um, educational results go up, social cohesion goes up. So you get to have a society, you get to have a community. And we know that it's far cheaper to um, prevent all the problems caused by poverty. So it's, it's far cheaper, sorry, I said that the wrong word. It's far cheaper to solve poverty than it is to prevent or you know, take care of all the problems that are caused by poverty. And it's also, it's the, it's the right thing to do socially. I think, you know, to love and to care, um, it's the morally right thing to do. And beyond that in politics, we need to understand that we should be more having philosophical discussions with deep listening skills than debate, because debate is a verbal form of warfare and it creates stress and it the opponents are trying to trigger sort of fear reactions in their opponent for an advantage. And so that's very bad for the discussion itself because it's locking everybody down into their primitive brains. So it's not going to be a thoughtful listening type conversation. Um, and that it will also impact the public. So if the audience is listening to a debate, it evokes stress um, and it's going to trigger them into a stressful frame of mind. They're less likely to think of um, solutions than they would if it was a philosophical discussion. And beyond that, we can extend these ideas into things like the world of work. So when we first, when society evolved into what it is now, it was best that people work from age 20 to 60 years because most of the work was manual labor. But now we're moving on into an age of automation. It makes a lot of sense for people to have a lot more time to raise their children and raise their families so that they're not so stressed 
so that the stress is not bubbling down to children and to babies so that those 900 genes stay switched on for a longer life in a more cooperative society and so that we all have better health um, and all those good effects like better law and order and um, better education results and such. And actually, I can see how this can trickle down into things like taking care of business, parenting, it, yes. education. It yeah, sort yeah, of trickles exactly. into everything. Yeah, everything. It becomes like a puzzle that comes together to make, it looks like life that we all know, but it's got subtle differences of nuance that actually make it work better. And we also know that uh, when we do knowledge type work in our later years, it's protective against aging related diseases. Um, so if you're doing more work with your brain from age 40 to 80, or till whenever you want to really, I suppose, it actually protects you from a lot of age-related diseases as well. And again, with the age of automation, like a lot of people are saying that we shouldn't need to work more than about 15 hours a week. Um, and I think that's what people would want. Um, like if the first thing that any retired person I know do is they run off and volunteer to do something or they want to learn something, like that period of doing nothing, like a vacation, it just, it doesn't last. People don't really like it. But again, with this age of automation coming, no one should really have to work more than 15 hours a week anyway, which means that parents would have time for their kids. They'd have time for each other. You know, they'd have time for a life. Angela, these are great causes, great qualities, great purpose. If someone wants to get more involved with this and help build this community and help strengthen it, what could someone do? Well, for now, I'm not sure if I have a great answer to that. I can tell you what I'm doing. Um, I write on Descriptionary. Descriptionary is open to other people to contribute to. So you can write things on there. This is the Tony D'Urso Show. Just ahead, the check continues with Angela Abraham and Scott Duffy, founder of Descriptionary and breakthrough author. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Hiring isn't as easy as putting an ad in the paper or posting on a job board. With more qualified candidates than ever, you need something that helps you find the right people for your business. And LinkedIn Jobs does just that. Nine out of 10 members are interested in hearing about new opportunities. In fact, a hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. With more than 500 million active members, people come to LinkedIn every day to make connections, grow their careers, and discover new job opportunities. And 90% of LinkedIn users are open to new opportunities, but not actively scanning job boards. This means LinkedIn Jobs gives you access to an entirely different demographic than anywhere else. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Things like collaboration, work ethic, and adaptability are all taken into consideration. So LinkedIn Jobs can help you find someone that's not only qualified, but also matches with your company's culture. LinkedIn Jobs gets your job in front of the most relevant qualified candidates so you can focus on making a hire you're excited about. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash Tony and get $50 off your first post. That's linkedin.com slash Tony. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show. Today's show is with Angela Abraham and Scott Duffy, founder of Descriptionary and breakthrough author. And now back to the chat with our guests. Beyond that, I've written a book on social evolution, which has just recently gone out to to publishers. Hopefully one of them will decide they want to publish it. Um, so that book will come out. And right now it's provisionally titled Sometimes a Flower, Social Evolution 101. But I think just getting, talking to people about these ideas, becoming more aware and just, I think a great way to do it is just to really try to see things from other people's perspectives, to really try hard not to be triggered by certain words, but to dig deeper to what it is they're trying to say. And if I give you an example of that, we've got, um, you know, the climate change thing is, is back in the media now, um, especially with Extinction Rebellion. And a lot of the time it feels that people are being, to me anyway, they're being triggered over linguistics. Because the way I feel about it, again, as a person who has a, a deep faith, is that we're really talking about um, not vandalizing Earth. We're really talking about not destroying creation. We're talking about preserving creation and trying to look after the forests and not polluting the skies, which is bad for all of life on Earth. We're talking about trying to save our oceans. And when we talk about it like that, everybody agrees like, I've never met anyone who thought it was a great idea to vandalize Earth and, you know, demolish the rainforest and all that. I've never met anyone who thought that. But when we say climate change, somehow people start getting angry. And that's when the productive conversation stops. And it's when we get into this sort of logjam of no progress. And I think in terms of all the things we want to do for the world, whether it's creating a better educational system that really does care for and love children, whether it's a situation whereby parents really can raise their children in a feeling of sort of joy and, you know, really enjoying being a parent, or, or whether it's taking care of the environment, that just to really try to, when you're talking to somebody, have that sort of self-awareness of whether you're being triggered by the words or whether you really disagree with the substance of what they're saying, because I think then we would find a lot more peaceful ways forward in every area of life. Those are excellent points. And these are really good. This is a great cause to get into. If you feel like you want to do something out there in the audience and you're not sure what to do, head on over to descriptionary.com, check it out and contribute and be part of this social evolution change that Angela Abraham has put together. Great stuff, Angela. I hope you get a a lot more support and really grow this. Yes. Yeah. And also people can contact me through the website. So if anyone wants to talk to me. Very good. And also your your books, people can get a hold of your books because you have them listed on your site at descriptionary.com. The Social Evolution book isn't yet published. I've, I've got an agent and it's been sent out to publishers. So I'm just hopeful that it's going to find a publisher soon. On Descriptionary, every idea I've ever had for social evolution is on there. 
but there are literally thousands of descriptions. So it goes, so it kind of helped the information to go out in a sort of soft, diffuse way. But the book is the first time I've ever put it all together as uh, sort of this is a new paradigm. This is how um, love is the right answer for humanity. And it's a, quite a big book. It's like 360 odd pages. But that's the first time I put it all together as a as a book. <laughs> but it's not published yet. So unfortunately, I can't yet direct you to that. But understand, hope, we will eventually we'll just keep going to the site and we'll, when it's published, yeah. we'll see it there. This is Angela Abraham, founder of Descriptionary. You can find her at Descriptionary.com. Angela, thank you so much for awakening us up and awakening more of the audience to social evolution and what we all need to do to create the change. Put that seed in the ground. Start making those ripples. Start making changes now. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on the show. And now we have Scott Duffy join us. Scott Duffy is the best-selling author of Breakthrough and on-camera personality. He started his career working for best-selling author and speaker Tony Robbins. He went on to work for big media brands like CBS Sportsline, NBC Internet, and Fox Sports before launching and selling a business to Richard Branson's Virgin Group. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Scott. I am so honored and grateful to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. I'm such a big fan of the show, and it's great to connect again. It is great. And, you know, speaking of that, I've just got to share something. I'm just going a little bit of off protocol here. I'm going to share something with the audience on how we met, because I think it's so appropriate to the title of our show, The Big Breakthrough. And before the audience even finds out who you are, who's Scott Duffy? Let me explain. I was at a veterans luncheon in Costa Mesa, California, and I'm listening to a speaker speak. And I'm kind of sitting near the back and this gentleman walks in and I'm like, who's this person? And I'm going, I should know this person. And there's the aura, the space, the presence was so big. I'm like, this is the person that should be on stage speaking. I need to interview this person. I want to know who it is. And, I'm, and, I, don't, and I apologize in advance. I don't remember who was on stage speaking. I was just like, who is this guy? And the next thing you know, he's introduced as Scott Duffy, and he goes up on stage and gives this amazing speech. And I'm going, my instincts are right. I do have to interview him. <laughs> and I think that day, I think we didn't speak for 60 seconds. I handed you my card. I said, I really want to interview you. And then I'm finding out who you are. And I just want to say, you've got a great presence. I thought I was looking at myself. Okay, there's a little Italian joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, that, that is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And it was great to meet you. We, we had a great time that day. We did. We did. And then there was a dinner, a, a dinner event also helping the veterans later that you spoke as as well. And we did mm -hmm. chat for a little bit, which was great. All right. So now the audience is wondering, who is Scott Duffy? What's this all about? So I tell you what, Scott, first things first, how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? Oh, wow. Well, I, I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm a SoCal guy. And I went down to to college down in San Diego, University of San Diego. And it was interesting because I got some really great advice from one of my family members. What they said is they said on the first day of school, before you go to class, they said, go to the career counseling department and find out who runs it and become best friends with that person. And tell them that after your freshman year that summer, you want to do an internship and tell them what it is that you're looking for and build that relationship and maybe they'll help you to find one. And it was crazy because, well, that's what I did. 
and I'm probably halfway through my freshman year. And by the way, back then, you know, if you were going to be an intern, you wanted to work, at least I wanted to work for the big companies at that time, like Microsoft and FedEx and IBM and Xerox. And, and one day I get a call and it's the head of the career counseling department. He goes, Scott, he goes, I have got it. I have got the internship for you. You're going to be so stoked. He said, you got to come to my office today. So I'm like, sure. And, and, and I'm totally fired up. I go right to his office and I'm thinking to myself, who is it? Is it Microsoft? Is it like, who is it? And so I said, who is it? And he says this, AAA student painters. And I'm like, what? Student painters? <laughs> and he goes, no, AAA student painters. So like all of us old guys, you know, uh, on the phone know that back in the day, we used to have these phone books, right? Before Google. And in the phone book, whatever category of business you were in, you wanted to be listed first. And it was all alphabetical. So if you wanted to be student painters, you'd be like A student painters. And then there was double A student painters. We were triple A student painters. So we'd be up at the top, triple A student painters. And the guy says, yes. And he said, look, here's the deal. He said, I looked at all those other companies, but he said, you are just, you're an entrepreneur. And he said, and you're going to be a guy that goes out there and builds companies. And he said, well, what they're going to do is they're going to give you an opportunity to participate in something that was like a franchise. And he said, and they're going to teach you how to write a business plan and build a team and go out there and execute. And you'll have a mentor. And I signed up for it. And my freshman year, I think I had like 15 people, college kids that were painting houses for me in San Diego. And that's really how I got started. And by the way, the whole thing was a total disaster. Like every, every single thing that I did, I did wrong. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in this trap. The company had been doing this for years and they were all across the United States and they were all across Canada offering college students like franchise things. And, and here's the thing, there's two ways to learn, right? There's, there's trial and error, which takes a lot of time and money. And then there's modeling, finding people out there producing the results you want. You do the same things, you produce the same results. Well, what I kept trying to do was reinvent the wheel. So they'd say, do it this way in their manual. And I put my own little spin to it. And every time I did that, I got myself in trouble, which was a good life lesson for me down the road. Every time I followed the roadmap, that's when I'd succeed. And so it was a great learning experience. And, and for me, that was really kind of like my start as an entrepreneur. And you've done so much in your life. It's so varied and so successful. How did you wind well, up getting into training as a result? Where, where did this fit in? Oh, that's funny. So... Well, so I did the, the student, student painter thing. And by the way, I was one of those people. I totally love the whole college thing. I, you know, I, I had a business. I, was, I did a fraternity thing. I played sports and I really dug it. And when I went to school in San Diego, we had this tradition. And the tradition was after midterm exams in the fall and in the spring, everyone would get in their cars and they pile in and we go nine hours south to San Felipe, Mexico. And we'd have just like this incre- it was just like incredible couple days of just partying and having fun. And in, in my junior year, my third year of college, I just happened to get done with my exams early. So I decided to go down early and help set up. And we were, for people that have been down to, to Mexico or to Baja, Mexico, they can vision what it is that I'm talking about. We were on, on a, a federal highway and these old federal highways had one lane, picture this, one lane in each direction. And then it's like, desert as far as you can see. And for some reason, these, these highways, they'd rise up at certain points, maybe for fly, I don't know. And there'd be this drop 
on both sides of the road and then just desert. Well, we're cruising along, uh, me and three other people, we're cruising along this road and we're headed down to San Felipe and, and a truck had gone off the side and he tried to, to get up on the road and get back on and he didn't see us and we didn't see him and we smacked this guy Ooh. square on going like a zillion miles an hour. And it, I'm telling you, it was the worst day of my life. This is the Tony D'Urso Show. Just ahead, the check continues with Angela Abraham and Scott Duffy, founder of Descriptionary and Breakthrough Author. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. Hey, check out my other great interviews at TonyDURSO.com or using your Android or iPhone, get the app at TonyDURSO.com slash mobile. That's TonyDURSO.com or slash mobile for the app. Thanks. Would you like a lot of people checking out your sales page, your branding page, your podcast? Like a lot of us, are you just trying to do it all yourself? Are you taking webinars, seminars, and workshops to learn how to grow your social media and how to bring visitors to your site? Are you downloading free eBooks, buying books, buying classes, doing this and that just to learn how to get more sales, more people, more exposure? Been there, done that. Why not just get good targeted traffic and cut to the chase? Skip the extra steps and get the visitors you want now. Imagine how you would feel if you had thousands and thousands of consumers coming in each week and checking out what you have, including downloading your podcasts, watching your videos, checking out your webinars, reading your stuff, and so forth. Most people can't do it all. The learning curve is too steep. You need help to get her done. My roots are lead generation and marketing, and I have cut through the chase to get a sizable audience. I've learned from some of the best. These people are the real deal, organic. That's what you want. Let me help. Go to TonyDURSO.com and find clicks on the nav bar. Follow the link and let's set you up for a trial. That's TonyDURSO.com and find clicks on the nav bar. C-L-I-C-K-S. Here's to your success. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show. Today's show is with Angela Abraham and Scott Duffy, founder of Descriptionary and breakthrough author. Scott Duffy has been listed as a top 10 keynote speaker by Entrepreneur. He spoke at the New York Stock Exchange and provided commentary on numerous media outlets, including CNBC, Fox News, and CBS Radio. He's the co-host of Business and Burgers and author of Breakthrough from Entrepreneur Press. And now back to the chat with Scott. And the question I always have for, for entrepreneurs is this. Is, it's like, how many times in your life have you been going down a road? And maybe as an owner, maybe as an entrepreneur, a business leader, you're doing everything right. Like you had the perfect idea. You had the perfect plan. You built the perfect team. You executed flawlessly. 
And then something came out of nowhere and like, bam, it totally knocked you off course. It could have been the economy. It could have been a change in your industry and regulation. It could have been an illness. And everything that you did to that point, every call you made, every email you wrote, every presentation that you had, you had to throw everything out and you had to start over. Well, that's what happened to me. I mean, I thought that the day of the accident, I thought that was the hard part. Getting better was even harder. So when I was getting better, um, it was really tough. I, I couldn't really, I couldn't read. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't really like listen to music because everything made me sick. And I dropped out of school. And, um, but what happened was I picked up this crazy habit. I started a list of motivational books on tape. My roommate came in, so my dad thinks you should listen to this. It was a cassette tape. And it was by a guy named Dennis Waite. It's called The Psychology of Winning. And I started to listen to this thing. And I started to listen to it all day, every day. And before you knew it, I started to develop a library. And before you know it, I'm, I'm listening to Dennis Waitley and Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar and, and Tony Robbins, who was just really breaking out. And I'm listening to these guys. And when I got better, I made this decision. I wanted to go work for one of them as an intern and go back to college and graduate. And the first person I applied to intern for was Tony Robbins. But instead of offering me an internship, I was offered this awesome job. And so I was first hired at 20. Tony was 30 years old. We were young guys back then, but I went on the road and I promoted Tony and I, I, I conducted workshops all over the United States and Canada and sold tickets to his events and, and was really fortunate to not only work with Tony and, uh, and Jim Rohn and, and, and some of the other kind of leaders in the space back then. And it was a, it was a great experience. Absolutely impressive, Scott. And but, it, it, but it shocks what? me uh, what you say. We could have everything going just right. But this one thing, this contingency, something we didn't plan for, shakes the whole foundation of everything. That is strong. What a message. Where's our contingency plan? Well, it's true in, in the mindset that we need to have around these things. You know, I remember it was, it was a while later. We were having lunch at an event up in Seattle. And I, and I said to Tony, I said, you know, I don't know if you remember how I got to you and, you know, like what that was. And I told him about how I was having the time of my life. I told him about the accident. I said, but here's the thing. The crazy thing is all of that garbage is what brought me here. And since being here, I've been around all these incredible people that are part of your community. And they've completely reshaped my vision about what's possible. And I said, he put up his hands and by the way, if you've ever been around Tony Robbins, this guy's got big hands. So when he puts them up, you stop speaking. <laughs> and he said to me, he goes, Scott, he said, I always want you to remember this. And for me, this has been an operating principle my whole life. He said, we have good days and bad days, but we don't know which is which until sometime way down the line, because we don't know what we're going to make of those experiences. And it's so true. Wow. Very poignant. Very, very true. It's, and, then, and then we go, we wish sometimes we say, well, we wish it was like back when, you know, but back when we didn't realize what we had only till later. Right. So it was very, very smart. Very true. And you've taken that kind of a message to go forward in building businesses. Yeah. I mean, serious. Because here's the thing, right? As entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter how rosy it looks on the outside. Right. Um, you know, we look at other people and we're like, boy, that, that person, they've got the Midas touch, right? Everything that that person touches is gold or, you know, that person's business or that, everything seems to be going so well. But here's the thing about life and entrepreneurship. We all have highs and lows. 
we all have ups and downs. We all have the cash comes, the cash goes, you know, we come, comes back again. And I know, you know, in my life, that's been the case. You know, people will, will look at me sometimes and they'll say, or they'll talk to me and they'll say, man, based on the big brands associated, you're associated with and your, your, your background, it looks like things are so easy. I mean, I, I worked with Tony Robbins. I, I was on, you know, early stage teams of companies that became big brands like, you know, today's CBSSports.com, NBC Internet. You know, I helped launch FoxSports.com and I started and sold a company to Richard Branson's Virgin Group. And so you pile all that up and it looks like, it looks like kind of cool when you look at those brands, but look, we all got it. And for me, you know, I was a guy that, you know, felt like I had everything. I mean, in 2007, I I sold the majority of a business I'd started to Virgin. We rebranded it as a Virgin company. And then we relaunched it as a Virgin business in March of 2008. And we all know what happened in 2008. And for me, it was a disaster. At least it felt like one for me. What happened was the market crashed. Um, I lost everything. I went from having all of this stuff, having made all this money, having, I mean, I was in business with my hero as an entrepreneur, Richard Branson. Like this is the guy that I always wanted to emulate. And now he's like, I'm in business with him and his companies and I lost everything. And I not only lost the business, but I lost in a period of months, I went like $400,000 in debt. Oh my. And it was awful. And I did what I think any good entrepreneur would do at that time. I basically curled up in the corner of my bedroom and I, I was in the fetal position for six months. Oh my. Like, I, I didn't know what to do. And my head wasn't strong enough. My mindset wasn't strong enough to really deal with all that at that time. By the way, during that period, I not only had all this loss, but I gained, I gained my first, we had our first daughter. And we got pregnant with our second. And again, all that happened in less than a year. So, yeah, so, you know, like we all have it. And for me, you know, the question is, what do you do when you're an entrepreneur? When everything kind of goes upside down, like how do you handle that? And like I said, I started in the fetal position. And then what I did is I decided to get up. And I made the mistake that most of us make when trying to turn around which is I did the same thing that had worked for me in the past, but I did it more and harder, more and harder, more and harder, more and harder. And the world was changing. And instead of getting better, getting better, I did more and harder. And so nothing was working for me until one day it felt like I just hit rock bottom. I got a call and the call was from an old friend. This is Scott Duffy talking about your big breakthrough, and you can find out more about him at scottduffy.com. And I'm going to spell that S-C-O-T-T-D-U-F-F-Y, scottduffy.com. All right, Scott. So one, one day you got this phone call. What happened next? I got a phone call from an old friend. He said, hey, Scott, he said, I hear you're looking for, for a new gig. I hear you're looking to run something. And I said, I, I am. And he said, awesome. You're hired. <laughs> and I'm like, that was tired. easy. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I remember I was like bawling, crying. I was so excited. And I was like, yeah. And, and he says to me, um, and I said, what am I going to run? And he said, what does it matter? He's like, you're not working. He's like, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I make things so hard, right? Or complicated. So I go out. He said, come and have lunch with me today. So I go and see him. I go out to Pasadena. We have lunch. And I said, what am I going to run? And he said, I've been thinking about it. Since we talked, he said, I'm actually not going to have you run this business. He said, instead, 
you're going to be a salesman. And I said, okay, well, maybe I could offer more. I, I don't know. He said, no. He said, you're going to sell. I said, great. I said, thank you for the opportunity. I said, what am I going to sell? And he said this, P. And I'm like, P? What? He said, yeah. He said, guess what? He said, I just bought a new laboratory and we specialize in processing urine. And he said, think about it. He said, you go to a doctor's office, you pee in a cup. He said, we get that cup. We run it through this thing. We create a report and we send it back to the doctor and the doctor tells you about your health. He said, that's us. And he said, so I have a vision for you. And it's like, oh, great. Here it comes. (laughs) He said, my vision for you is he said, you're going to call on every doctor's office in Southern California over the next year and you're going to win their pee business. And he said, in fact, my vision for you is in one year, you are the king of pee. And that was my first job offer after running a company for the Virgin Group. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. (laughs) We all go through it. And I think that as entrepreneurs, sometimes being an entrepreneur is a very lonely job, right? And it's who do we talk to? Who do we share this stuff from? Who do we open up to? Who do we learn from? And so I share that story with people because I think it's really important for everyone to know that we're all in this together and we're all going through the same crap. And it's really, it's not what happens to us, it's how we deal with what happens to us. And people always ask, did you take that job? And the answer is absolutely not. The answer is instead of taking it, I just got pissed off. <laughs> and I can, I did. I'm like, what? It's hilarious. Oh, no. I got pissed. And I did the same thing more and harder. Until one day I went back to, I went back to one of my mentors, Dave Meltzer. And I, I, I called Dave and I go, Dave, I know the best people. I have the best mentors. I have the this. I'm doing it all right. What is wrong? And he said this. He said, starting today, we're not going to focus on your business. We're only going to focus on your head. And there's four things that you have to do starting today. He said, number one is this. He said, you have to take accountability for everything in your life. He said, number two, you have to forgive yourself for everything in your life. For me, that was the hardest part. Number three, he said, you have to learn the lesson from all of it. And number four, he said, in every cell of your body, you have to be grateful for all of it. Right? The moment I stepped into that is the moment things, things changed. Wow. Very powerful. And we have so much more I want to go over. I can see how you've taken that to do what you do. And I do want to kind of cut in a little bit here. Because I wanted to go back to Richard Branson, and I'm just very curious, because you've worked with him, just perhaps you could tell us, what lesson, what would you say is like perhaps the biggest lesson you learned from him? I guess real quick, we were, um, I was invited to his home on Necker Island for a, a Virgin CEO conference, and I'd never been, I was so excited to go, I'd always heard about this place, and on the first night when it was time for dinner, they had all of us go down to the beach and get in these little tiny boats. Because Richard didn't just own that island we were staying on, Necker. He had just bought the one next door called Mosquito. Because I guess if you own one island, you should probably own the one next door. Right? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? So we get in these boats and we head over to, to, to Mosquito. And what he had done is on this little tiny strip of beach, set up this incredible barbecue. And I remember I got out of the boat. I grabbed my plate. I'm looking for a place to sit. And I see Richard and he's cross-legged on the sand with his, pl- and he's eating his dinner and he's negotiating 
And he's negotiating this deal, and he's so passionate about what he's trying to buy. And everyone else around seemed to kind of know. And so I asked him, say, hey, Richard, what is it you're trying to buy? And he said this, a rainforest. And I'm like, the rainforest, which one? And he said, the Amazon. Oh, my goodness. Because like, right? Because like, if you're going to buy a rainforest, you might as well buy the, the Amazon, the biggest yeah. one. Yeah, why not? <laughs> and so I to him, what I guess I thought everyone, I, I said to him, just instinctively, I go, you can't do that. And he looked at me like, what? And he said to me, he goes, you want to learn how to buy a rainforest? I'll teach you how to do it. And, you know, the question I always start with is, what is your why? Because being an entrepreneur is tough. To do anything great is tough. If you're not truly rooted, when times get tough, it's too easy to quit if you don't really, you're not really stuck in that thing with purpose. We knew he wanted to stop deforestation and protect indigenous animals. The question is how? And he said, if you got me in a room with a willing seller, do you think I could negotiate a deal? Good deal. I said, well, yeah, Richard, I, I would. Actually, he said this first. He said, if that's our why, do we really have to buy and own the Amazon or could we just lease it? Now, for me, leasing, that, like, that's a huge shift in thinking. And they said, if you, if I, you put me in a room with a, a, a willing seller, could I negotiate a good deal? I said, yes, I'd bet on you. And he said, great. So here's number three. He said, how would we finance it? And everyone started to throw out names of these like, multi-billionaire people. And what I said to him, and when he put up his hands, and he, said to me, he said to me, he said, what if you didn't have to put in a bunch? What if all you could do is contribute a dollar or a dime? Like effectively crowdsourcing buying the Amazon rainforest. And here's my point, and this is the lesson, is that less than five minutes, buying the Amazon rainforest seemed easier than eating my bowl of soup. And what I learned from Richard that night was this, it was, it was that if you have the right mindset, you put the right people, the right resources around you, you can achieve virtually anything that you dream. That's a powerful story. And I get that totally. It's just a matter of shifting the thinking, which sounds like, you know, sounds easy, but you, it's how you shift your thinking and how do you really do that, which I believe you teach entrepreneurs. I know that your mantra is, quote, I help build great companies, end quote. This is one of the things I presume you teach them and you, you shift their mindset to make them into great companies, to help build them into great companies. Sure. And the simplest way to shift your thinking is to change what it is that you're focusing on. The way you change the way you focus or what you focus on is to change the questions that you ask yourself. And here's what I mean. I think our brains are just like Google. Whatever question we ask it, it's going to give us an answer. And so as an entrepreneur, like we've all been through this, like you get up in the morning and you check your phone and it says the big deal you've been fighting to get for six months just came through. They said yes. And then two hours later, they bail out. And then the big hire, that person, you got them, and then they take another job. And then the money comes in. And so as entrepreneurs, I think the hardest thing that we have to deal with is this emotional roller coaster that we tend to go through every day. Now, here's the thing. Whenever something happens to us, our brain asks two questions. What does this mean? And what should I do? That's it. And so what guides that thinking is the questions we ask. So when you lose that deal, if the first question you ask yourself is something like, man, why does business keep falling out? Or, or why do I suck, right? Your brain is just like Google. So if I typed into Google, why do I suck? In less than a second, and I've done this, go do this. Google comes up with 7.6 million reasons why you suck. 
your brain does the same thing. And what happens is, because that's what you're focused on, it changes the way you feel. And the way you feel changes the way you behave. And the way you behave changes the results that you get. Now, when that thing happens to you, if you ask a better question, you know, what can I learn from this experience? What can I learn from this experience? Apply next time and enjoy the process. If, if you learn to change the quality of the question that you ask, what you do is you give your Google-like brain the opportunity to come up with 7.6 million reasons why you'll succeed. And so again, the difference you know, between a person like a Richard Branson or a Tony Robbins or other high performers and everyone else, because they go through the same stuff we do, is they've learned in those moments to ask a better quality question. And what they've done is they focused on that like building a muscle. And that muscle is so strong that they're constantly shifting their focus to something that empowers them and drives them forward. Very impressive. And just very fast, Scott, we have just another moment. Is this information, some of this information, I presume, in your your great new book called Breakthrough? It is. For, For the last three years, I have traveled around the country, not only taking my experience, but sitting down with everyone from, you know, a uh, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk to Damon John to, uh, you know, Sarah Blakely and others to learn what is it that they're doing? Like, what is the difference that makes the difference between today's top performers in business and everyone else? And in Breakthrough, what I do is share those breakthrough moments that they've had. And I break it out as a step-by-step roadmap for you to prepare yourself and optimize yourself as an entrepreneur, to take your ideas to market and then grow, scale, and position your company for sale. Absolutely amazing. And if we go to scottduffy.com, we can find out more about the book and actually find out where we can get it at our favorite place, correct? Sure. Go to scottduffy.com or visit Amazon or your favorite retailer. Absolutely impressive. What great stories. Definitely have to have you back. There's so much to talk about. There's so many more questions. You've filled our heads with some really great insights. I just want to thank you so much, Scott, for joining us and telling us about your big breakthrough. Thank you so much. And once again, everyone, you can find him at scottduffy.com. Thanks again, Scott. Thank you. And for my amazing audience, thanks so much for listening. Remember, success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Be righteous. Join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel.